Good afternoon. Welcome to the Human Results Podcast. It's October the 8th and we are two days away from World Mental Health Awareness Day. And we have a very special guest. Before I go on to the special guest, good afternoon, Alistair. How are we? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you, Ben. Yes, very well. It's Friday. It's Friday. The world's opening up. Seven countries on the red list now. That's right. If you could have the fuel to take your car to the airport, you can. the, the world's your oyster. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think since the last time we spoke, we've been through a fuel crisis, which seems to have come and gone very well. Well, it's, um, it's, it's interfered with my, uh, my work-life uh, arrangements for the last week or two, certainly. I've had to change plans and drive around, uh, join queues and get rationing, and it's not been great. No, no. I think we're over it now, hopefully, touch wood. So... Well, we're not too bad round here, but it's still not over yet. No. Worse, worse in the South East. How are you finding it, Sheila? Because you're... Well, there goes my intro. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Hi! Before we get to Sheila, we'll yes. that in a moment. <laughs> Our very special guest today for the Mental Health Awareness podcast is Sheila Lord, founder of BMR. Sheila is a very highly skilled and highly qualified at maintaining workplace well-being. Um, she has many strategies that she's put into many workplaces. But we're going to come back to that now because we're going to have to go back to the petrol crisis and Alistair's comments. So, Sheila, over to you on that side of things. <laughs> well, um, I'm one of those smug buggers that's roll, rolling around in a Tesla. Completely not impacted. Uh, laughing at you lot. La- la- <laughs> in the queues at the petrol station, mocking at... You know, the, the previously uh, electric car owners for having to sit at service stations and charge on their motorway journeys, but at least we can. Thank you for keeping <laughs> that part brief. Let's go on to the, the, the task of today. So I, I, we just had a pre-conversation, and, and I just mentioned that, that schools around Shropshire do seem to take it very seriously this year. I've got a six and a nine-year-old, and they've gone to school decorated. All the teachers are decorated in, in very colourful clothing, etc. And I think it's great to see. Uh, it's all about raising awareness. Sheila, you're obviously coming from that background. You obviously got your heart and soul in it day in, day out. Tell us the importance of, of Sunday as the 10th of October. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a bit conflicted actually on these types of, of days where we promote. And I think it's absolutely fantastic that we do World Mental Health Day and we have those awareness days. And um, especially this year, World Mental Health um, Day this year is all about being in, in an unequal world. It's really great um, for words for raising an awareness and getting a lot of hype and, and, and kind of, you know, some promotional stuff going on behind uh, World Mental Health Day. But, you know, every day needs to be World Mental Health Day. We don't have a, you know, we'll have our, you know, physical health days, we'll do the marathons, we'll have all of these things, but we always differentiate world mental, you know, mental health from physical health. And without one or the other, we're not a full human being. You know, mental health is as important as physical health. But, you know, our mental health is with us every single day. So, you know, every day needs to be World Mental Health Day. Uh, and we need to be focusing on the things that make us feel good and make us feel well. Because, again, with mental health, we often talk about ill health. We don't talk about positive mental health. It's great what you said, Ben, about, you know, having your schools that are celebrating mental health. Not talking about illness, not talking about being poorly but actually celebrating positive, good mental health. I just want to come in there, really, and I think I think you're spot on. And it's the same with physical health. We're always on about the illnesses. We're never on about how to keep yourself fit. And there's never been more of a proof than the last 18 months. You know, it was a survival of the fittest. Uh, and sadly, some people didn't. And that's got to be that's got to be the same for mental health, because if, you, if mentally you're right, physically you're right, 
the days are going to be better anyway. Absolutely, you know, and I, you know, I've, I've experienced that. You know, I've always been, you know, an exerciser, going to the gym, do this, do that. You know, knowing what to do to keep myself um, mentally and physically well. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially through COVID, have struggled with that. We've fallen into ruts. We've fallen into different ways of being, and yeah. often, if mentally we're feeling a bit down, if we're feeling a bit fed up, if we're feeling a bit depressed, we just can't get ourselves out of that rut. We stop doing all the things that physically are good for us. Um, and it becomes really, really challenging um, to continuously do all the right things on, on the same day. And we're not, we're not kind to ourselves as human beings. And of course, Alice, that then brings it back into the workplace, doesn't it? Because if you don't go to work correctly, you don't, you're not productive and people are putting more pressure on you. It's just a spiral. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the last 18 months has been especially difficult. It's easy to think of people spending their time, their working day, working from home, but actually people's work, working from home, they've had wildly different experiences. And um, if you're living in the comfortable surroundings with a, a nice garden, a pleasant outlook, a spare room, a dining room or a home study, it's very different to... Uh, surrounding yourself with bags of washing and and kids at home around you it's very difficult and um, I think by and large uh, in my experience employers have been on the whole understanding because they've they've seen it for themselves they know that they know the circumstances people are in but there comes a point of course where you've got to you've still got a job to do it, it is difficult it has been difficult uh, and it continues to be with uh, with hybrid working and um, uh, and of course people now back to the commute and the grind and the petrol crisis and uh, you know the extra two hours on their day that maybe they've been out of the habit with and the world can get rather difficult, complicated for people and expensive. Fuel prices, gas prices going up, many worries. Kids at home um, with COVID, and uh, was it one in thirty children at the moment, roughly, with it? Employers have to be mindful of uh, of the difficulties that that creates. Um, Short term childcare emergencies are going to impact on people's ability to work. People are going to need time off to go home and, and and look after their children. It's a very very complicated and stressful situation for some but uh, people are showing resilience and um, generally speaking um, the world having opened up is also helping a lot of people so I've just experienced it with a nine-year-old she had she had COVID how can you tell a nine-year-old they can't hug you and they can't come out the room it's devastating on many people's on many oh, levels yeah. but, but just just bring it just coming back to you yourself Sheila you know you're obviously keen on to promote the, the good side of things, the good mental health, etc., and keep it keeping fit. I suppose is the best keeping your mind fit. I'm guessing you only get called up when it's the other side of things, isn't it? And and that's the really the wrong way around. It swings and roundabouts, really. I mean, with us and what we do at BMR and um, Health and Wellbeing, we're really focusing on working with organisations that want to make sure that they've got a mentally healthy culture um, and a mentally healthy uh, and resilient organisation. So, you know, you take the World Mental Health Days, you know, with same with mental health in the workplace, training the mental health, those data and putting them into the workplace and going, I'm doing mental health at work. It's not enough. Yeah, it's good and it's a step in the right direction, um, but it's not enough. So when we're talking about um, looking at mental health in the workplace, we need to be looking at why people are getting stressed when they come to work. When we can understand why people are getting stressed when they're coming to work, we can actually start to put in um, preventative measures 
that actually look to remove the stress. You know, if we had a factory um, that was producing, I don't know, earphones and they were coming off the end of the production line, but they weren't quite working well, they weren't quite, you know, at 100%, we wouldn't employ a team of people to start fixing headphones. We'd go to the machine and try to understand what in the machine was causing a failure on the production line. And if you look at workplace mental health, what the way we've got things set up at the moment, or a lot of the common approaches, are to wait for people to become ill so that we can put a mental health first aid to them and we're not looking at the machine, i.e. the organisation and the factors in the way that work is organised and work is designed that are contributing to making people stressed. Make, it makes a lot of sense, that does. And, and as you say, and, and of course, it's what Alistair probably experiences most is that when you go into a meeting, Alistair, to, to resolve a problem, you've got two people that actually aren't mentally in a fit state to deal with the problem. They can't deal with it. That's why you've had to go in, isn't it? And if we got this side of things right in the first place, you'd be having a lot more positive conversations. And that would help the whole business yes. be more productive. And I find that, you know, typically as a, a law employee relations advisor and specialist, you know, I mean, I, I tend to get, get involved when somebody has just produced a fit note for four weeks saying work-related stress and whatever that cause may be. And uh, statistically, as Sheila would tell you, the odds of that person coming back and, uh, and staying with the business long-term and getting over the issues they have are low. They're, you know, they're, they're not great. And that's too late, too late to, to deal with in, a, in, a, in, a, in an effective way that you know, saves the company and that individual the pain. Because um, whatever that cause of that stress may be, if it's, if it's caught, if there's an intervention at an early enough stage, uh, the situation can improve. And purely uh, as a business, if you're looking at it in terms of lost productivity and the cost of replacement and things, that's painful enough. But for the individual themselves, it's uh, it's very damaging. So, sorry, Sheila, I just want to just come back to that. There's two stages, isn't there? There's the first stage, there's the mental well-being of the business itself and, and obviously everybody within that business. There's also the pressure situations. I think really, obviously, I think what we'd like to hear from your good self, really, is the, the, the idea, firstly, of the long-term... <laughs> you know, the, the well-being of that company, the well-being of the personnel in it, and also how you deal with the pressure situations which come up every now and then. You know, how do you deal with the situations? How do we know what's always going on in the organisation? How do we know what those factors are? You know, it's picking up on what Alistair said there. You know, by the time you've got somebody that goes off on four weeks, you know, psychological illness in the workplace costs us a hell of a lot more um, than physical illness in the workplace. Yet we do more risk-based and preventative work around physical health than we ever do around um, psychological health and organizations need to be continuously constantly risk assessing the workplace for the factors that are causing people to be ill so we need to be consulting and engaging with our employees on a regular basis and that might sound like a real pain in the book to do okay how are we going to do that how are we going to find out what people are thinking and feeling but we need to have those conversations we need to ask them in law health and safety at work act we have the duty of care to look after the health safety and welfare of all of our employees that's what the law says we do safety really well health and welfare we're not so great on and how are we supposed to do that again the law says in the management regs that we need to do that through a risk assessment process that requires us to consult 
uh, and engage with our employees, okay, and to provide resources and training. That's a big gap in current approaches um, to workplace mental health, and that's the work, that's the space that we're in in terms of helping organisations to bridge to bridge that gap. We need to get well-being and, and and kind of HR costs onto the balance sheet in a way that they're really really visible to senior leaders. You know, we look on our balance sheets and our P&Ls, and you know, we'll have a a lump cost for staff costs. We may have a lump cost for recruitment costs, yeah, but how does that break down? What is that staff cost made of? Is it salaries? Is it settlement agreements? Is it people, you know, what's physical sickness? What's psychological sickness? When you start to look at those numbers, I challenge any leader to then say, I don't have a budget for workplace mental health. That's a very good point, Sheila. The cost of recruitment lumped in, that uh, is a good, a good point, because if you could point to the fact that that could be reduced by 15, 20%, 30%, so many smaller businesses in the SME sector, they don't actually budget for recruitment at all. And yet they might be spending you know, 30, 40 grand a year on it. And uh, they know they've got a problem. They just don't know how to address it effectively. And, and, and finding a budget for plugging a gap with another bum on a seat seems easier to sell to management than, than actually the preventative um, approach. Anyway, you, uh, we were talking, you know, at the beginning of the podcast about the truck drivers. Yeah, big shortage of truck drivers at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, you've got, you've got a diff- couple of different factors there. My brother's a truck driver, and I think we were talking about this the other day, weren't we, Alistair? But, you know, you've got a high population, uh, an old population of truck drivers, so people kind of just leaving the industry. But, you know, they've not had the best treatment for employers. They've been treated as commodities because there were a lot of them in the market. Yeah. Wages went down. They weren't earning enough money. COVID hit. They were key workers that were keeping the country on its feet, yet they had nowhere to go and pee. They had nowhere to go and eat. They had nowhere to rest. They had no facilities. Yes. And they, you know, some of them went off and, like my brother, left the industry, got another job that paid an equivalent amount of money, but with less stress, less, more time at home, all of these factors. And they've actually, like many... Yeah, moved on. A lot over COVID. A lot of people are, are, are speaking with their feet now and they're leaving. And actually now, let's have a look at some of the logistics companies. How many direct truck drivers have they got? And how much is that costing them? And how much do they pay their direct drivers? Let's say they're paying them 15, 18 pounds an hour, but they've not got enough drivers on the books because the drivers know, I don't want to work directly for a company. I'm going to go to an agency. Agencies pay me £25 an hour. Yeah. Enough work there to keep me out as long as I can be on. I'll be on £40 an hour before my day's out. Yeah. This must be costing those employers that didn't have regard for the well-being of Mm -hmm. truck drivers an absolute fortune. And they'll swallow that. They'll absolutely swallow it without blinking twice. But you ask them to put a well-being program in, I don't have a budget, but it's too difficult. That's an appropriate point now to, to move us forward because obviously, awareness-wise, we've never had a better time of mental health awareness. I think we can all accept that. Whether it's the right way or not, I'm not going to get involved in that conversation, but I think we're all aware of mental health now. How do we capitalise on this, Sheila? Do we go to the companies? Do we go to the corporates? Do we go to the small businesses? You tell me what strategy we should be putting in place now as a country and as a, as a nation. 
I think it needs to, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but Ben, there was a, a new global standard that came out um, in June of this year, um, ISO 45003. And that's a framework that's been developed by a team of mental health experts in the field globally. Okay. Over 70 countries involved, I think 40 countries were involved in the sign off. And that really gives a, a framework of how businesses can build psychological health and safety into their organization. So like you have an ISO 9001 framework or your 14,001 for environmental, this just brings that into place. So it becomes a systemic part of business processes. Now, you know, you can go and talk to the big corporates, but you know what they think, oh, I can, I've got plenty of money, we can swallow up, you know, um, some people that are unproductive. But you go to the smaller companies, the SMEs that are often underserved in this area, they can't afford to carry people that are not performing and that are not as productive um, as they could be. So, you know, all businesses need to start to have this approach. It should be a fundamental part of how they operate. It should be part and parcel of policy and procedure. So it needs to be an everybody approach. And, you know, coming back to what you were saying about statistics before, you know, we've got more mental health aware and mental health first aiders trained in this country than ever before there's i think it's close to 700,000 people have had some level of training in mental health awareness yeah however at march 2020 pre-covid our sick days lost to work-related stress anxiety and depression was 17.9 million working days it's the biggest cause of sick days in the uk and that was pre-covid you look at the stats that 17.9 million was up from 12.8 million the year before and a report from Deloitte says that the average cost per employee if you just want to you know take this number 1700 pounds per employee is costing you whether you're tracking it or not it's 1700 pounds yeah yeah huge impact on productivity yeah massive absolutely <laughs> massive it's scary, Alistair, isn't it? It's really scary. And of course, then the impact, of course, on the business owner and the business owner also have their mental well-being to take care of. And if all they're worried about is the figures and stuff, and they're not being productive, Alistair. So it's a vicious circle, isn't it? No, that's right. Uh, I mean, small employers are seldom equipped to actually measure the cost impact, but they'll see the impact in day-to-day -day business. Just needs one key worker in one position. Uh, and, and that can have an enormous effect in a small business. Yeah, and of course, then that puts stress, stress on you, you guys to sort out in HR. So what's your overall message, Sheila, to finish off the podcast? Give us, give us a positive message for everybody. Look at mental health in the workplace and embrace it. Stop thinking that by doing something around workplace mental health, everybody's going to be throwing in a stress card and giving you a signal for the next two weeks. By having robust approaches to workplace mental health, you're creating an environment that people are happy to come to work in. Therefore, there isn't gonna be that stress card. And if you do get that old person that wants to play the stress card, work the system, take advantage. You are knowledgeable, you are informed, you've got your processes in place that you will be able to deal with that more effectively and more efficiently because you'll be less scared of it. Well, I could see you two as a team working hard and putting things right in the right place, definitely. So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's been fascinating today. Um, I mean, I know that we, we talk about these things quite a lot. You never know the true scale of, of, of the issue, do you, really? I, I think I'll just echo what Sheila said. Um, 
keeping a good paper trail, showing that you have a, a process and a plan, that you've addressed things sympathetically and reasonably. And I think the key is reasonable, not bend over and, and accept uh, somebody pushing the envelope beyond what is reasonable on their part. It's what's reasonable in the circumstances. And as always, the, the law recognises that what's reasonable for a larger organisation might be different to what's reasonable for the smaller. Uh, depends so much on their own resources, both administratively and financially. So having a plan, uh, having a process, um, uh, keeping your documents uh, up to date and uh, following it and showing that you've followed that plan in a reasonable uh, fashion. But I think in the first instance, uh, as, Sheila, as Sheila has said, you know, embrace it. And, and I'm sure that um, you'll see improvements over time in the workplace in terms of uh, cohesive teamwork and, uh, and in morale uh, and also in productivity. Uh, and, and that will filter through to the bottom line. Anything else, Mr Hobbs, this week? Anything else on the board? I mean, we're actually having a little bit of a settled period where we can actually get used to the laws that are in place now. Yes, um, I think we can expect to see a bit, bit more a bit more legislation coming forward in the coming months. Um, can't keep blaming Brexit and COVID for inactivity in Parliament, but let's see. Not a great deal of content in the, in the in the Tory party conference in terms of policy, but lots of talk. So let's see. Brilliant. Sheila, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Really appreciate your you coming to the podcast. And Alistair, as always, it's been superb. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thanks, and thank you, Sheila, for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you. Well, for having me.